listening to the Retro Sermons podcast. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com slash retro sermons. I recognize that Jesus saves. He says, he that believes in him is baptized shall be saved. But I might not necessarily be aware that it is baptism that saves. For instance, I might think that faith saves. A lot of people do. Yeah, but they don't believe Mark 16, 16. Oh, it says it takes both of I know they say they believe it. A lot of folks say they believe a lot of things and don't. You believe it. It says it takes both, don't you? All right, so you believe it. But I don't, um, I don't see that I necessarily, from Mark 16, 16, or any other passage, um, Well, this isn't a question, though, of, of, of what the Bible says. We believe the Bible says it takes it to be saved. You're you just saying what you believe in contrast to what the Bible says. There's a considerable difference between the Bible saying that baptism is necessary to salvation and the Bible saying, I must know that baptism is necessary to salvation. There's another step there. Peter said it was for that, that you to do that for that purpose. He said that to be baptized into the remission of your sins, yeah. But I, I fail to see that he told them to have that as a motive while they were being baptized. Well, let's just go back into this context now. We, we shouldn't do this anyway. We probably have spent too long without it. In verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made the same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And by this he indicted them with crucifying the Son of God. They felt the indictment. They were pricked in their hearts and cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do for what? Shall we do because of the of what we've done? Alright. Repent be baptized. Why? Just don't even say what Peter said. Why? Why not say what Peter said? Into the remission of your sins. Well, I, I want to say that because that's what he teaches. But I'm saying you don't even have to have what he said to show why. And to show those people need why. Their, their question showed they knew why, that they knew exactly what it was saying. I'm not questioning that they knew why. I mean, it shows that that was involved in the thought that he gave to them. Do this, if you want to be saved, do this. You, you're worried about having crucified Christ? Here's a way you can get out of it. Repent and be baptized. We are, we are in agreement that they knew, uh, I take it if they had reasonable, uh, reasonable intelligence, they knew when they were baptized that by so doing, they were appropriating salvation for themselves. But it seems to me to argue from that that it's therefore necessary for everyone who is baptized to have the same knowledge is to argue uh, equally that uh, that they must be aware of the uh, of everything else that Peter brought out in that second chapter of Acts. For instance, the, uh, the reference he made to the fulfillment of the prophecy about David, uh, the reference to David, that, uh, where David says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thy own one to see corruption. That because the Jews there knew what that prophecy meant, oh, before they were baptized, therefore we would all have to know what that prophecy we meant. Won't, we won't insist, and I don't think you would uh, be this... Uh, 
take from your effort to gain the point. We won't insist that the very arguments that Peter used on Pentecost to prove his point would have to be used in every case. It would take the arguments to prove the point. The point was that Jesus was both Lord and Christ. This was the point. Now, whatever it takes to prove that to you is what you need to hear. That's what it took to those Jews to prove the point. He was getting at the point that he didn't recognize Christ wasn't just a man. He's Lord. He's the anointed of God. And therefore, you need to be saved from what you've done. Our sin is the crucifying of Christ. But we have sins that are just as heinous in the sight of God as that. And therefore, we need to be aware of Christ as Christ. And whatever it takes to prove that to us is what we've used. Those arguments were what they used then. You wouldn't insist on using the same arguments because they wouldn't even apply to a Roman. He wouldn't have anything to know about that. So we're not talking now about the arguments that you used. We're talking about the point. They got the point. Whatever it takes to get the point. The point is you're lost and you need the Christ. You need to believe in him as the Christ. Well, what can you do to appropriate this Christ? Repeatedly baptized to get him. That's what you do. Every person has to understand that much about it. You show me a case where it was any other way. They have, they have to obey the command of Christ to believe in the time, certainly. Well, what's it going to do for them? What are they doing it for? Because Christ said to do it. What better reason could there be? It isn't just a question of Christ having said to do it. It's a question of his connection with what they obtain in Christ. They, they, they've got to be related to Christ. You can't be saved without Christ. Is there any, any fuller or more complete acceptance of the Lordship of Christ than doing something simply because he tells you to do it, though? Uh, no, if you fully accept what he told you to do, man. But see, this is part of what he told them to do about that baptism. That was what it was for. And the cases where you do find that specified thing was in detail that much, that's what they were told to do. So a person who is baptized, but has never been told any connection between baptism and remission of sins, has not been scripturally baptized. Not according to Acts 2.38, nor Mark 16.16, nor 1 Peter 3.21. Even though that person has done what he has done because he accepts Jesus as Lord in Christ. Yes, even though that's so. Uh, and I'll say this uh, specifically for this reason. There are a lot of people who have the very opposite of that idea in mind, Jerry. Uh, every one of your Baptist friends have already thought they accepted Christ and have been saved before they ever were baptized. They are all in error. None of them were baptized for the right reason. Well, that's simply what the Bible says. I can't find that in my Bible. Well, you don't have to go to your Bible to ask your Baptist friends. Ask them what they were baptized for. Well, I know what they say. Well, exactly what they'll say. Because Christ commanded it. Yes, they'll say that I was, I was in Christ first and baptized second. I ask them, why are you baptized? Because it's a commandment of Christ. That is their answer. It is a commandment of Christ. Well, do you think Which one, is definitely true. It is a commandment of Christ. And uh, they are fulfilling. Is it a part of the law? No, it's not. I'm not talking about the law of Moses. It's a uh, part of obedience 
to the gospel message. Uh, but now, if a person has the idea he's in Christ before he's baptized, there's no connection in his mind between baptism and salvation. He already was saved. As far as he knows, that's right. But the very fact of his knowledge with respect to it is thank of concern to God. Acts 19 teaches that. Acts 19 teaches that baptism without any knowledge of Christ is of no value. That's right. Baptism based on, John, uh, based on the preaching of John. No, Acts no 19 value. teaches that baptism, knowing John's baptism is wrong, that mere immersion is not enough. These people don't know anything about immersion. And the people you're talking about don't know anything about immersion. But they're not being baptized by the authority of Christ. They're baptized because they're saved and not to be saved. The authority of Christ never taught that. Are they saved before they're baptized? I doubt it. Why do you doubt it? I don't uh, believe the scriptures teach that myself. I... Uh, I mean, if they would ask me if, if they if they accepted Christ and, and died before they had a chance to be baptized, would they be saved? I can't answer the question. I don't think you can either. Really, that question. Now, are they saved before they are baptized? Can you accept Christ not being baptized? Thank you. You can believe in these things very differently. Christ said, He that rejected me and receiveth not my words. If you receive not His words, you don't receive Him. You reject Him. In John 7, John says, or Jesus said, they rejected the counsel of God against themselves and not being baptized. John. So when you reject baptism in the scriptural sense, you reject the counsel of God. Right. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. So if I reject any of the word, of Christ is tantamount to rejecting his person. So if I am, uh, am baptized, I become a Christian. But I uh, do not accept, uh, let's say, the position that instrumental music and worship is a sin. I uh, that's tantamount to rejecting the person of Christ. Yes, I believe so then it was of no value to be baptized. You were saved from all your sins up to the point that you were baptized. Salvation from past sins is what you gain in baptism. In well, the, the body. Uh, as far as your eternal salvation is concerned, you can depart from that after you baptize and still be lost at any point. Let's say I had that error beforehand in over five years. I haven't known about religion. This is, this is not a hypothetical case. It happens every day. Yeah, I suppose. I, 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 I was... Uh, let's say that was raised in the church from from the uh, from infancy. At the time I'm baptized, I take the position that instrumental music and worship is not a sin, and I continue in this. Is my baptism valid or not? Uh, I don't know. I guess I'd have to say it would be here. Assuming that you, uh, but at the very time I did it. The very time I did it, I was rejecting the words of Christ. Well, you see, you reject the counsel of God at many points. You would reject it if you refuse His teaching of baptism. This is continuous, though. 
I know this, but I'm saying it at any point where you would reject him. You, you can receive his teaching of baptism, comply with this. And I think still, if you continue to reject the other aspects of what he's taught, be lost. I think if you went into it knowing that you reject the counsel of God on that point, you'd be lost right there. Oh, I agree with you. In other words, you do this consciously. I think you'd be lost. You would, your baptism wouldn't be valid because you would be rejecting Christ there. You would be receiving him. But now if it was a matter of ignorance and you just kept on being ignorant, uh, you wouldn't be ignorant uh, if you were studying the question, if you were concerned about it. The thing about it is, you say it's a hypothetical case. Oh, I say it's not a hypothetical case. Well, I'm, I'm saying well, you say it's not, but it would be a hypothetical case with respect to uh, a person continuing in that position. In other words, you you be baptizing the group that you're off there. They have the instrument, so you teach it as right. You baptize the group that I'm a member of. We we don't have to teach it as wrong. A person wouldn't stay in a position of of neutrality on that thing. He couldn't. You'd either have to accept it as right or wrong. Oh, I, I, I didn't oh, say neutrality. I believe all along that it is right. At the time that I am baptized, I believe that it's right. Am I not rejecting uh, the person of Christ by rejecting his words? I don't believe that if you just have the faith and you're ignorant of the truth in the matter, I don't believe you'd be rejecting Christ. Uh, in the sense of turning away from all that he said. Even though I have believed this for 10 years, at the time of the time. Yes, I think it would be true. What about 10 years later? Well, I think he'll still be lost. Oh, wait, I'm getting confused. My baptism is valid, so I've become a Christian. Is that correct? Even though I'm, I'm wrong about this. Yes, I think it's possible for you to be wrong and to do be baptized right. I don't know that you can, some of these road brothers might not think so, but I think that. Okay. Um, let's say then that I begin my... See, what, uh, let me just interject this thought. In John 7, the part of the counsel of God they rejected was the counsel of God with respect to baptism. You can accept the teaching of God on baptism, what it takes to be a member of his family. And you can obey this. And you can become a member of his family. But this doesn't mean that God is going to save you. Uh, if you truly repented of all of your error at the time you were baptized, that is, this repentance involves turning away from all that is opposed to Christ that you're aware of at that time. As we said, we don't. Uh, I, I don't know of anybody who believes you've got to know all of the truth before you're baptized. I personally don't believe you have to. I believe you've got to know the truth about baptism, or else your baptism doesn't have the right motive behind it. But if you know the truth about baptism, that's all that I think you have to know at that point. And if you're not taught out of the rest of it as you go along, then you'll be lost because of what you didn't learn. I don't believe God excuses ignorance. Okay, if I am baptized, uh, let's say I'm baptized by you when I'm in the congregation where you uh, where you are a member, and I still have this this false belief on instrumental music, and ten years later I still have it. What then? Well, I just have to leave you up to God. 
assuming that you've not been disturbed at the church and what you believe about it. Now, by disturbing the church, you mean that I never mention it? Teach it. Introduce it. Yes, that's what I mean. Mark them that cause divisions, contentions, contrary to the doctrine. Uh, what if uh, privately in, in groups like this, when there are other members of the congregation in my home, uh, I mention to them that I, you know, I don't share this feeling about instrumental music. That I, uh, I think it's legalistic or, or what have you, but that. Um, it's not a matter of great concern to me. Frankly, I don't like the sound of the thing, but that I, I don't believe it's a sin. Uh, I'd put up with you, it's me. What if I say, <laughs> what if I say it in a discussion group uh, uh, in, uh, in the Bible school? Well, this depends. I, uh, you, it would, uh, I don't suppose that we could be dogmatic enough to say that the mere mention of a person's opinion as he held as such would constitute causing division. Yeah, see, there is an area where you would give a person room to grow. At the same time, insisting that he accept the truth from the standpoint of his practice, from the standpoint of what he would do to others. Now, uh, I have done this personally, and I have seen it uh, done in other places where people who in fact, we just baptized a man earlier this year, or the last last year, who held the same view that you described toward instrumental music. And uh, with respect to his holding it as an opinion, and from his point of view, realizing that to press his point would divide the church, uh, and respecting this fact and not doing it, then uh, he came into the body. And since that time, he's been taught out of it. Now, this is, is my thought, and this is what I would do on the thing, as long as it wasn't a matter of contention and division, and if, even though I think he's wrong. And if he was never taught on Well, as long as he doesn't uh, push this thing, doesn't try to divide the church with it, I'll just leave his judgment up to God. I can't say what's going to happen to him. So then you could have doctrinal disagreement within the church, so long as it did not produce uh, So long as it didn't produce any variety in teaching practice. You see, you're supposed to all speak the same things. Now, you, you say no variety of teaching or practice. Well, um, he's not teaching this. You say, we don't have any variety in our teaching because this man has come among us that has this opinion. Well, then you could not permit him if he were a, a Bible school teacher ever to uh, uh, to tell the class that this is what his position. Uh, we couldn't allow him to teach this and push this point. No, sir, I wouldn't. Even though it didn't cause division? Uh, no, I couldn't allow, my own personal conviction, I couldn't allow error to be taught that I knew to be error, and I know that to be error, at least I feel like I do at this point. But you see, you're asking me on what I believe. I think we ought to stay with what the Bible says. These are dealing with things that I think in principle are taught, and we all just discuss the principle. Well, the problem, though, is that we, we don't live with principles. We live with, we live with situations. Yeah, but the principles apply to them. Can we accept the principles? Do you believe it's right to mark and call, uh, avoid those that cause division? 
yes, those that cause divisions. I see a whole lot of difference between a person who teaches something that varies from what I do and a person who causes division. A lot of difference. Uh, well, if, if a person is insisting on people believing his point of view. Well, now you said insist. Well, okay, this is what I can, when I teach something, this is the way I'm teaching. I'm teaching to, to you, you insist that the people accept what you teach? Uh, from the standpoint of what I believe to be right, I do. It's either, it's either to accept the truth or else be rejected by God. You see, you fellows don't believe in standing for anything. Oh, yes, we definitely do. Well, we haven't yet hit anything that you stand for. Uh, just tell me one thing that you stand for that you would insist that people believe. No, I insist that they believe that Christ is the Son of God, that he's lived on this earth, and he's died, now, he's is that a strong word, insist? Yes. Yes, it's very, it's very strong. You believe in people, insisting that people believe this? Yes. What you teach? Well, all right, then the question is simply a matter of determination as to what is involved in the doctrine. I say that whether you can have the right to worship in truth or not is a part of the doctrine. When you use an instrument of music, you don't worship in truth. So I, on the basis of this, then you ought not to have any more shock at that than you would what he said. Well, there's a considerable difference there, because a person cannot be a Christian without believing what Ron has said. Cannot even become a Christian without believing that. And uh, yet you have admitted that a person can become a Christian and not necessarily believe any of these other things. Yes, but there's no difference in the validity of the teaching. I wouldn't hesitate to insist this either. I would, I would, I would teach this just as emphatically as I teach the other. Uh, as far as a person's personal opinion is concerned, he may hold to those opinions as long as they are not introduced and taught. All right. Suppose this man then is a Bible school teacher. He begins, he begins teaching his class. He doesn't raise his voice or, or uh, uh, sneak around and try to form clicks or anything of the kind. But he very openly in his classes, as occasion arises, points out to them that he feels that, this, uh, that the congregation is in error on this point. And as a matter of fact, instrumental music in worship is not a sin. What would be done with this man? Well, of course, we first try to teach him that he ought not to be teaching this. And encourage him to recognize what he's doing. And if he won't recognize and persist in it, then I mark him in the body. On what basis? Romans 16, 17. Okay, let's see what that says. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That doesn't really sound to me much like a person who is sincerely convinced that congregation is wrong about something and is simply teaching what he believes to be right. That sounds like a very wicked person. He says these people, and these people are uh, 
are serving our own lusts. By good words and fair speeches deceiving the hearts of the simple. He says they're causing division. Suppose this man is causing a division. There's nobody in. Uh, there's nobody. There's nobody less qualified to determine whether he's not than the man himself. Well, I suppose he says, where's the evidence of division? We all seem to be in harmony in the class. You mean everybody believes it? No, some of them agree, some of them disagree. But there's, uh, uh, there is no ill will, there is no splitting up into cliques. Uh, when a person brings something that would be contrary to the teaching of the scriptures, and that's in that same passage, offense is contrary to the doctrine which you learn. Uh, and to me, that is contrary to the doctrine that I've learned from scriptures. Uh, it would still be classified in that verse. I don't believe but it hasn't caused a division. Well, he's caused an offense contrary to the doctrine. But if he's, he's got some to agree and some to disagree. This is Mark then which caused divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Both of them. Both or either. It wouldn't have to be uh, the idea of an open split before the man would have brought about uh, this condition of lack of harmony. So you got some to agree and some to disagree. He's been teaching his point. He said that this is wrong. I don't think he ought to be allowed to teach that. I don't see how you can. Uh, Romans 16, 17 is the way I do it. Second John 9, is, I use this the same way. First Corinthians 4, 6 is another passage where Paul says to not to go beyond what's written. Uh, in the 
book of Matthew where the Lord teaches about withdrawing, about treating a, a fellow member of the church as a heathen publicly. It involves a person who sinned once. He said, if you find that your brother has trespassed against you, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And he said, uh, if he'll hear you, then you gain your brother. If he'll not hear you, then take two or three more, just for the one sin. And if he'll not hear the two or three of it, take it before the church. If he'll not hear the church, then he's completely public. And I consider that's what he's talking about, excommunication, if you want to use that word. But that's just one sin. I, uh, as far as I can tell, that comes within my definition of continuing willful sin. Because this man has done something that is wrong. He has been reprimanded for it, or he has, has been, been taught on the subject, and he will not hear. Well, I consider this to be true in the case that you described about the fellow teaching this in music. He's been taught that it's wrong. He keeps on. He will not. He's going to show that the church is wrong. And I think you ought to go through a process of trying to exhort him not to do that before you do withdraw from him. I think he should be correct in, in the gentlest way possible. If that won't work, then use the next step. But it's not true that we'd, uh, I mean, that so far as the idea is concerned, that they're just these uh, willful sins, and I don't know what you classify here. Paul makes the broad statement that every brother walking disorderly is to receive the same thing. Not after the tradition you received to us. Any man will not obey our word by his epistle, by this epistle. Note that man. Uh, and if I understand him correctly, the word that he's talking about is the warning to work, to mind their own business, and eat their own bread rather than. That's the specific one, but he said after the tradition which you received to us. That tradition is no more emphatic than the rest of the traditions that Paul gave. This tradition, any tradition that Paul gives. And even this epistle has more traditions than that one. Yes, it does. So it's our word by this epistle. And uh, it would be his traditions. And of course, that carries the force of an ordinance that Paul would receive from God. He's talking about traditions there. Well, I would take this statement in Second Thessalonians to be uh, in the context of both letters that he initially warned these people in the First Thessalonian letter, where he says, "Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men." And uh, have you? Do you all ever do that? What is that? For any cause. Oh, excommunicate people. I uh, at the present stage in my work at this church, I've never seen anybody excommunicated. No, it was my suggestion in the first uh, boarding meeting, well not the first, but the first year in which I was a member of the board there, that we cast some of these people out. Feeling of the uh, leadership was these things were not done in the Christian church, in the churches given in the Bible. Uh, I disagree very wholeheartedly, and I expect to see the day come when some of these things will definitely be pointed out and these people put out. Yes. But as the present stage, the thing that I have been in up to this day, no, I've never seen anybody excommunicated from the church. 
do I think that do I think that they sh should put some of these people out? Better safety. Can you be right behind it? Mm hmm. I think we will. But right now you're not. But we're free to teach. But we're free to teach. Uh, you may be free to teach, but you're not in the position of doing what the Lord told you to do. If we're pointing out no, there's none that, that is. If we are pointing out the errors that are being made, we are in a position of doing what the Lord has told us to do. Now, he told you when the people won't heed the errors. Oh, but he did not say what it is they won't heed them. I mean, uh, to cast the whole people down the drain is a Let's just take error. one. Let's just take any one of them. Any one of them is guilty. No, that's not what I mean. I'm saying this to disfellowship uh, myself from these people. When there are many there that are that are true to the word, and if I'm the leadership in this situation, disfellowship myself from them because there are some that are in error is uh, well, casting a whole people away who can very possibly be led to the word of Christ. Uh, they're not there yet. I've never seen a church that was. Uh, I very possibly assume that I'm not completely in, uh, right in my interpretation of things either. I, in fact, I'm, I'm sure I'm not in many things. And I'm sure I never will be. But uh, I believe in matters of faith. I stand firm. Uh, in the doctrine of Christ. In the of faith, yes. In the words of the Lord. You, you've you not rejected any of the words of the Lord. No. Well, then you believe on the Bible. You teach on the Bible. I don't know what you do wrong. I beg your pardon? I said, if you had re received the word of the Lord, then you'd be right near with me. No, not necessarily so. But the thing about this... Uh, because if this were so, we, then and everyone could agree. Everyone would agree. I mean, there wouldn't be a matter of, of you disagreeing with this fellow over here. Let's say, let's suppose, I don't know this, Jim. Let's suppose you disagree with the matter of this uh, brother in, in Holbert, for instance, of the Church of Christ there. I don't know what his name is anymore. What's going But let's say we, we disagree on the matter of whether we should use one communion cup or individual communion cups. Uh, now, is this a matter of faith? I mean, you see, can we just fellowship ourselves? And so one person says that this is a matter of faith, and you say, well, it's not really. We can fellowship together. And he said, no, not let you do things my way. Well, this, it becomes a matter of faith after a while. Things that really weren't meant to be. As a result, you say, well, I must separate themselves because they are not following the complete doctrine of Christ. And so we, it becomes such a fraction. That's what he was saying. Don't let there be these divisions among you. It's a, such a terrible testimony to the world. Uh, that's right, Ron. But now the, the same passage that teaches Christians to be one shows the method to be one. In the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, after decrying division and showing what these contentions had done, Paul drew to a head the point when he said what I 
quoted from 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, when he said, These things have I transferred in the figure to myself and the cause for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to go beyond what has been written. Now, the things that have been written are the standard for unity. And uh, the truth is that there is no disagreement over what the Bible says between most of us. We've agreed tonight on what the Bible says. It's just when you start thinking, now, maybe we ought to leave a loophole here. And maybe we ought to leave a loophole there. No. And, uh, Jerry has questioned me for an hour trying to find loopholes to allow more than what the Bible says and with respect to the conditions of salvation. Uh, you questioned me with the idea of allowing a loophole for more than the Bible said about instrumental music, about even the one cut. Because there is something that the Bible hasn't taught about, you see. I agree with that. And not only that, but I believe the Bible is not uh, specific on the matter of instrumental music. Uh, it doesn't specify a thing about it, and that's what's wrong with it. Well, it specifies nothing about a church building. No, but it does teach us what we are to use by way of music. But this teaches that we should then use a songbook? Uh, this isn't music. But it's an it aid. It isn't an act of worship. It's an aid to worship. No, it isn't an act at all. Oh, but it is definitely an aid. It's also an aid to, the, it's an aid to singing and to the instrument. If you want to use a songbook, it's an aid. It aids both of them. Is playing on instrument music an act of worship? It's described that way in the Old Testament. But I'm not under the Old Testament. I know, but that doesn't change the act. You ought not to use it in Paul because that's where it was. And it wasn't brought over. Now, let me see if I understand you. Uh, because it was an act of worship in the Old Testament, therefore I cannot do it now or it's an act of worship. It would be, if it's used in the same context, it would be. As they did then, uh, they praised God with them while they sang. And when the two are together, according to Second Chronicles 5, they both go up with one voice to God. To be heard in praise to God. So will it, sir. The instrument doesn't have a will. People do. I know, but the, the instrument makes the sound, no matter whether the people will it to be worshipped or not, it goes up with the voice as one sound to be heard in praising God. You mean that the... The instrumental music that, uh, that is produced at the time that I am singing necessarily goes up to God along with my voice. I don't believe I either your voice or your instrument goes up to God. I think they both would go up together if either one went. I think the one nullifies the other. I mean, these things were accepted by God in the Old Testament, but no longer, is that right? That's right. What, because they're not mentioned specifically? Is that why? Because they're not a part of what's written. Now, what is it again that, that keeps um, keeps my singing from being acceptable to God? You're using the instrument while you sing. It goes up with your voice as far as your voice goes. They make one sound to be heard. Even though I don't want it that way. If you don't want it that way, then you wouldn't use it. I'm not talking about playing, I'm talking about offering to God as worship. Yes, that's what I'm talking about, too. The two have to be the same thing? Well, that's what the Old Testament says they were. They go up as one voice. It says that's what they did. No, it says they go up as one voice to be heard in praising God. All right, this is the voice that's heard in praising God. No matter, the instrument makes one of the voices, 
But the voice that it has, it's going to be the same no matter what the other one is. It doesn't have a motive at all, but it's still the voice that blends with the other in praising God. I'm interested in knowing how anything can go up to God if I don't intend it to. Well, it's not going up to God. It went back up to God then because God had decreed that it could be done. And the reason it doesn't go is because God hadn't decreed it now. But I say they go up just the same distance. Yes, I understand what you're saying. But I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled as to how the fact that an instrument is played while I'm worshiping God necessarily means that the playing on that instrument becomes a part of my worship. Well, I just take what the Bible says about it here. I mean, I don't know, except just that God says that they go up as one falls. The Old Testament says that. Of course, all things are new now. Yes, that's right. The instrument left out of the order, too. It's part of the so old order. it's not a part of the worship. I quite agree with you. Well, then you ought not to be letting it go up with your song as worship theme. I don't. I know you don't have any will to do this, but the instrument never had a will back in the Old Testament to do that. It just went up anyway. There's no because will involved the people, in it. Because the people intended it to. Uh, no, it doesn't say that because the people intended it to. This is what God heard. He heard both the instrument and the voice. Did God hear something that they did not intend to hear? I don't know. I'm sure they intended for it to be done that way back then. That they that they considered this to be serving God. And I'm just as sure that you consider this to be acceptable to God today. You wouldn't do it. I don't think that playing on the instrument constitutes worship of God. You consider it though to be acceptable to God. You don't think this hinders your worship. I think it's equally acceptable to God with the word of an air conditioner at the same time. Yes, I do too. No, well, I take that back, but I don't. Because the, the, the air conditioner, as such, is not uh, involved in the thought of making any kind of a sound to harmonize with the music that's made. Air conditioner would take away the distraction of excessive heat. Uh, it, would, it would tend to take distraction away from you rather than it. Well, of course, this is this is purely subjective because many people feel that the instrument takes away the distraction of people hitting wrong notes and hitting off the beat. In other words, it sounds better. Sure. It's a sensual approach to it. Oh, now, come on. If we talk about sensual approach, we can condemn carpets and air conditioning and stained glass windows no, these and are, heating. These are not part of sounds. These are not part of acts involved in our worship. Oh, definitely they are. That's why they are put in that building. That's carpet put in that building to, to conduce the worship service. Else, why else was it put in the building? Well, it doesn't. I, I don't know. I don't put them in there to be conducted to anything with respect to the service. But why are they put in the building? Well, you tell me, Ron. I don't why is the building. building there at all in the first place? It was not it's an aid to the worship service. It's, it is an aid to the worship service. Well, in the same way as a musical instrument, an aid to the worship it service. It is an aid and also an addition. An addition to the worship service? It is. Both an aid and an addition. If it's, uh... Let's I mean, I'm this. just assuming let's, let's that you're one of the ones that have to have it. Let's put this I think it can aid some people. 
I think it definitely can. In fact, as a matter of fact, I think at times it is almost a necessity to cause a. Uh, Tell me not, just one more, just one thing before we clarify. Do you ever play the instrument when you're not singing? Definitely, I do at home. I'm talking about in the worship service. Do you play play it while you're praying? Do you yes. play it while? I think they do. Don't they? Yeah, so they don't but what's it aiding then? Hmm? What's it aiding then? I'm not sure. At times, I think it may be distracting. I think maybe uh, this point could be brought up very possibly. I thought this point It shows you what the instrument's used for, though, when they say this, this is all a big bugaboo that you're just using it to aid in the singing. If you're using it to put in the, involved in the praying. Now, uh, if you don't, you're one of the few that don't. don't. Most of them use it for other things besides singing. Well, I'll say this. I, when I was in Bloomington, two summers I was there, uh, I went to the Church of Christ, the uh, anti-instrumental church, because I couldn't put up with the uh, sermons in the, the church downtown. But uh, I had to change uh, anti-instrumental churches. The, the singing was distracting from my worship. Uh, the singing was horrible. And I could not sing, I could not worship in such an atmosphere. In this situation, I'm sure that if there's instrumental music, uh, there's an instrument available that would have definitely contributed to the worship service. To me, I'm sure. Now this other church, now the fourth church there, fourth church of Christ there, uh, they were wonderful singers. I, I enjoyed that thoroughly. I enjoyed singing with them. But, but you uh, say really, we're not the ones to be pleased in the case, are we? Not the question of whether I enjoy it or not. But the question it's whether God enjoys it or not. To my worship. They're definitely distracting well, in that case. Uh, because of the singing itself. But because God didn't specify the instrument, the only conclusion we can draw is that He didn't prefer this, therefore it'd be distracting to Him, wouldn't it? Not necessarily. If you assume that uh, the basic approach to the Bible is this that uh, what God does not command, He condemns. They said not to go beyond what's written. Well, then we should not have a church building because it was not commanded that we have a church building and that was not written. The commands that God gave have been given with the idea in view of using whatever is necessary to carry out those commands. Whatever is necessary. Now, a place to meet is necessary. The kind of place you choose is left up to you. But a place is necessary. It's not an aid. It's an essential. You've got to have some place. Well, I think in the scriptures, that's very definitely specified that you should meet in the house. Oh, no. no, well, no. We just read a passage in John 4 that doesn't house. make any difference. In John 4, he said it doesn't make any difference. Neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem. The question of meeting place is not a matter of content. But they definitely didn't meet in the house. Well, that, that, right? was, that was where they met. But he said it didn't make any difference. Where two or three gathered together in my name. Anywhere. Place isn't essential. And except neither, that you've got to have some place. And neither is the aid of worship uh, make any difference in this situation. It is not what is there, but it's, you must worship God in spirit and in truth. Well, what's the truth? Spirit's your heart. Now, what's the truth? What is true is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is the word. Sanctify them by that truth, thy word. The whole thing? 
all of it's true. And we can never agree, because I'm sure I can never agree with everything in here that's written here with you. Therefore, one of us cannot be saved. Yeah, but the things we can agree on, though, we should agree on. We should be getting the unity. In other words, I'm going to be responsible for the point at which I fail to unite with you. If I do not do all that I can to get there. This is just one of the points that we can unite on. I, I think this, here's the thing, I could definitely, now if this is the argument given to one of my friends in New Mexico also, that uh, look, this is a small town, we have a anti-musical church here and a uh, instrumental church, why don't you come over, it doesn't make any difference to you, why don't you come over and worship with us for the sake of unity? And the answer was, we will do this. We definitely will. In fact, we have the bigger building. You can come to me with us. We will put the instrument up. If you will agree that we will not split over a matter of uh, publishing houses or premillennialism or, uh, and uh, we ended the whole thing right there. This is not the essential point here. It's a matter of basic approach to the scripture. Question of authority is what it is. Basic approach to the scripture. That's right. If it's not condemned, uh, the approach here is that uh, it is not specifically commanded and is condemned. Do you believe that what Paul said is so he said we can't go beyond what's written? I uh, believe that, yes, I definitely do. But uh, right, I, don't another, think this is, I don't think this is going beyond what's written. This is a matter of opinion. Well, if it's not, you can find it there, though. This, this is, is a matter of opinion, not opinion. No, no if, if it's not going beyond what's written, it's written. See, and you can find it there. Well, is there any place written in here that says that we should have a songbook, for instance? No, there's not. Well, then how can we have a songbook? It tells us to sing, though. Oh, I do. Whatever, whatever we use. Let me say, cannot the idea we sing, that cannot we sing without a songbook? Yes, we can, but I'm going to point out something to you. It's impossible to sing without some way to convey the tune to everybody. Whether you, uh, and for you to hold the tune while you sing, whether you do this out of your head or whether you do this from a book, you're going to have to do it one of the two ways. Well, and God didn't specify either way. Well, I see no difference to, to me between this holding the tune and the instrument maintaining the tune. For no, the instrument has to use the same aid that you do. And the songbook is truly an aid because it aids both the instrument and the singer. Not necessarily. I know many people that can sit up there and play with without the songbook. I know many people that can sing without one. I agree. So the, the, they occupy the same position. Now what I'm talking about, the same thing the songbook does for the singer, it does for the player. It's an aid. It doesn't introduce another act at all. You have to have a tune to play just like you've got to have a tune to sing. That's essential. Whether you, whether you put that tune in your head or put it down on paper, it's still the tune that you've got to have. This is only, now, this is only necessary now in the act of worship. It's now, like any kind of singing. Now, well, wait a minute. For instance, now, if you're having a wedding in your church, it'd be quite all right to bring the uh, piano in and play for the wedding. Is that correct? <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm reaching the point where we won't have weddings. Is, that, is that correct, though? Because this is not an act of worship. This is a wedding. No, I don't think it's correct to introduce anything into the church that's not spiritual. And well, let's suppose... No, no, wait a minute, let me tell you something now before we get through. The kind of songs that people sing in weddings generally would exempt the weddings from the church building, in my way of thinking, you see. It's All a right. civil ceremony, not now, a religious let's ceremony. Let's suppose the parsonage just sits right next door to the church, and when the 
time that the wedding starts, they have a piano in the parsonage, and so they open the windows of the parsonage so they can hear it in the church. Now, what is this is the kind of thing that makes me very skeptical. Who would be in the parsonage conducting the wedding if everybody was worshiping? Well, it beats me. I'm a little bit uh, ego over Hesco to the uh, Church of Christ over I grew up in Hesco, and this is exactly what they did. I mean, I'm not quoting, this is not a theoretical question. This is what is, was being practiced. You mean the worship service was going on in the church building? No, they have, they're having a wedding in the church. But you can aid the wedding, they open the windows of the church and the windows of the parts next door and play the piano next door so they could hear it in the service for the wedding. Did they do that all the time? I don't know. John used to be over there. I, I have. They didn't. Uh, I wasn't there when it did. I don't I've never been to a wedding. This is, this is a, a question, of course, and how far you go in excluding the instrument. That's all. Well, this, well, this is a real problem to me. It's I not mean, to me at all. Really? Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's just, we recognize the fact that it's wrong to use it in singing praises to God, at least our people generally do. And uh, I'd be just like, uh, was it uh, John Wesley that said that uh, he had no objection to instruments of music in the, or in the building as long as they were seen or heard? You want to use it as a, as a, as a table to put literature on and use it for that. I wouldn't say that it'd be wrong to have one in there. Uh, I, I certainly believe it'd be tending to encourage what's wrong if you leave it where people can use it. Now, I'm talking from the viewpoint of one who opposes it. Uh, but there's no question in our minds about the fact that it's wrong. Uh, I personally believe that it's, uh, it's just as wrong to sing uh, secular songs in an act that you use the church building for as it is to use the instrument there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't if I conducted a wedding in the church building, I wouldn't want them to sing songs that weren't spiritual. And if they're spiritual songs, they should be sung a cappella. Of course, I question the uh, authority of the preacher of the gospel for the wedding service in the first place. Well, this, this may be, uh, I, I wouldn't quarrel with you on that. I mean, uh, this is definitely uh, not Just spiritual. Just opinion. This is definitely not scriptural. I agree with that. Uh, I think it's, uh, now that's one of the things we can agree on because we both see that's a matter of opinion, you see. In other words, what you believe on this, I wouldn't care. Because it's not a matter of faith. The entire ceremony itself is a civil matter. It doesn't enter into the religious realm. But uh, these other matters aren't matters of faith. What I do in worship has to be done in harmony with what's written. I just don't find that there. And I say that the arguments that you make with respect to the songbook of these other things all can be made just as strongly to point out they are aiding the instrument to the same degree they aid the singer. Even the tuning fork. Now, your instrument, and I don't use one, and I don't favor them because of what the, of, of the occasion it gives to offer this reason. But I don't object to them. I can't find a scriptural reason for it because they quit when the singing starts. You know, they're not part of the worship. Uh, but your instrument has to have a tuning for it. If you hadn't had the way to tune that instrument some way, you had to use some, some standard to tune it by, just like you've got to use some standard to tune your song by, your singer by. So it still aids both to the same degree. See, they're true aids. But your instrument, even if it does, in some way aid the person to sing, although I'd agree with John, it's a distraction in that it keeps from being understood. The admonition and teaching is supposed to be conveyed by your singing. But even if it does aid, it also is an addition. And it's not wrong because it's an aid, it's wrong because it's an addition. It's not what's written. 
And it goes back to your question of what's basically right, that is what the scriptures teach. That's the, that's the whole question. It definitely goes back and to the matter of what baptism is, is, and everything what is necessary for salvation and what is left open to a matter of opinion. But see, I'm not the one to say about this. The Bible's already said what's necessary to salvation, and nothing in there is unnecessary to it in the context in which it's written.
is not going to be saved by you letting him go on being lost and not using God's plan of discipline to bring him back. And the idea of causing people to be separated because of something you yourself say is a matter of opinion is in the case of the instrument. God's not going to tolerate that either. What isn't he going to tolerate? Uh, an opportunity to be united that's not accepted. I can't see that we would be united if we disfellowshipped ourselves from this group which uh, is 32 churches strong in Lake County and came over to fellowship with you, we would uh, be disfellowshipping ourselves with a great mass of strong Christian people. Strong Christian people that in all 32 churches have never exercised a case of discipline. Oh, I'm not saying all. Oh, I have seen cases of discipline exercised in these churches. Oh, yes. I did not say that. I say that in the church of which I I say in the church of which I am attending, I have never seen this done. That's what I say when I came here and became an elder in this church. I was in favor of putting some of these people out, and they said it was not done in the Christian churches. And I say it was done in the Christian church in which I grew up, and it was because I did not grow up in this part of the country. I grew up in Hesville. And those people were put out of the church when they uh, not over matters of different doctrine, no, but uh, a matter of person living a gross sin. These people were put out. In other words, it's worse to be immoral than it is to be doctrinally wrong. It all depends on what the doctrine is. Is it a very definitely make a difference what doctrine. If they are, if these people are denying the divinity of Jesus Christ, then they must be put on. There's no doubt about that. But if they are differing over a matter of, say, uh, a matter of whether whether we should use the uh, Christian Board of Publication Publishing House, or whether we should use the Standard, or whether we should all subscribe to the Restoration Herald, or whether then this is a matter strictly of opinion. There's no. Well, I can't cast these people out. We're talking about things like saying the person, uh, the person's baptism will be accepted uh, if he uh, believes he's saved before he's baptized. We're talking about the thing that says that the person's worship is vain if he teaches the doctrine of the commandments of men. Now, uh, this is a doctrinal matter here. Uh, you differ even, uh, well, you differ from me on this. Uh, Sure, there's some in your congregation who believe like I do on this point. I'm sure, I'm sure I differ from Jerry on many points too, but that is not of doctrine, definitely of doctrine, but we do not disfellowship ourselves because perhaps either one of us are wrong. Of course, it's not a question of whether you do or not. You know, the Bible says if you walk in the light, you have fellowship. And if you don't accept the light about what the Bible teaches on baptism, you don't have fellowship with God. Because that's part of the light. You see, the light is true to that extent by the same argument. Uh, if you are in error on any part of the New Testament teaching, you know, you're not in fellowship. How about that? To that extent. That's the reason you've got to keep on studying to find fellowship with God. Keep on maintaining fellowship. So, what we have to deal with is really not an in or out situation, but a sliding scale. A person is right or wrong in matter of degree. Is understanding the it greater or lesser. Any doctrine that he occupies is, is not a matter of degree. You either believe or not. Or any specific doctrine. Baptism yes. or not. 
But as far as his acceptance or his understanding of the doctrine of Christ as you have defined it, this is a matter of degree. Uh, it's a matter of growth. You grow closer to the ideal. And, so, and as he does so, he grows closer, closer to his brethren. Uh, no, if you if you all were exercising the lead of the gospel here, you'd be further further away from those fellows over there. Not all of them, the great mass of people that are true to the word. Well, if you've got the majority of the truth of the word over there, why aren't you making the rest of them accept the lead of the word? Or else just uh, remove the contention. Remove the, and if they're not contending, they're dead. I think possibly the problem here is that uh, these people must be brought to maturity. I mean, it's true that they could, they could definitely been feeding on the milk for a long, long time and have not grown, but that does not necessarily mean just because they have not grown that there is not salvation here. This truth, even though they have been in this matter for a long time, uh, yet they still are young, immature. They can still be brought on it. They can still be brought low. Well, do you feel safe in letting these folks go year after year when you're taught? that the people that do not obey are going to be lost. But we're not letting them go. We are not. That, that is the whole as long as you don't correct them, you let them go. As long as you don't stand up for what's right, you let them go. Oh, well, I stand up for correcting them. I mean in respect to their own participation uh, in what's right or wrong. Well, as long as you don't stand on what's right or wrong. Don't you think I can stand up? This, this is a matter of opinion, though. This is strictly a matter of opinion, though. Let's suppose I stand up in front of these people and say, look, you fellas are smoking, that's not right. Why don't you quit that? Am I taking a stand? Is that a matter of faith or is that a matter of opinion? Uh, I believe it's getting closer and closer to a matter of faith. All right, no. So I, I, no, I, I've never been able to, to make it as strongly uh, a matter of relationship as I would other things because the Bible doesn't specify so No, I have done that. No, well, I teach against it, but I Well, I, I stood up and said right in front of all these people, they said, this is wrong, we ought to stop these things, leading them, they're a stumbling block. In this sense, they are definitely a stumbling block. Now, uh, isn't that taking your position in these matters? Yes. Of course, you see here we have something, you and I both agree, the Bible doesn't specify. Right. It's not a, it's not a matter here that we would disagree on, uh, except just insofar as the idea of saying well, whether it hurts you or not and whether you think this is a stumbling block or not we can reason with them on this on this point although as I say I'm reaching the conclusion it's a matter of faith because we have evidence that it does harm you and when I get to this point then I'm going to be just like I am on other things if I did. Okay, what are we to do in this situation now? a few weeks ago uh, in, in teaching my class such a position that uh, an elder who is uh, who becomes disqualified by his actions either uh, in uh, in some gross manner can be removed from his office. Now, this is something which probably the majority of the people there disagree with me. But I took that position very very strongly in the class. Now uh, most of them I think just sat back and said they think about it a while. I got no immediate results. Now, suppose that I, I continue this sort of thing, and Ron continues as he said, 
stating just exactly what we, we believe the scriptures to teach, and standing up for, for the sake of the argument, standing up for the truth. Um, but, uh, but we do not get immediate results. What should we do? Well, this depends on whether your participation in the things over there constitute disobedience or not. I mean, I couldn't be a party to the things you've done over there. On, uh, in what way does this constitute disobedience? Well, in the first place, there's no upholding of the scripture plan of salvation. What way does this constitute disobedience? Well, in the first place, there's no upholding of the scripture plan of salvation. There's no upholding the scripture plan of worship. There's what no upholding the scripture plan of salvation. What way is there no upholding of the scripture plan of salvation? That you do not teach baptism in the proper setting. That you say that a person can be saved if he's not baptized according to New Testament usage. What if, uh, did I not teach you about the baptism already? Did I teach you about baptism? What did I teach you about baptism? And I believe that you, you, this is an obedience to the gospel? Oh, that did this is a fulfillment of it. Didn't you know before you baptized this is part of the plan of salvation that this is a beginning? But Ron, you can you can say this, and that the modernists teach a lot of things that he believes with one hand and disbelieves with the other. And if you if you say this is necessary, and then I'll come along and say, well, a person doesn't have to do this for me to fellowship. So recognize him as a saint. Uh, uh, what you do it speaks a lot louder than what you say. I say you're not upholding the scriptural plan of salvation if you allow those people to believe they are saints who have not done what the Bible teaches about baptism. Who, for example, consider they were saved before they were baptized. And this is a direct opposition to what the Bible teaches. I, uh, can agree with you on that better. I understand you can't, but this is true anyway. I noticed that uh, uh, it's, a, it's a matter of they either were saved before baptism or they weren't. And if they weren't, then they've got the wrong idea about the whole thing. I, I, I think uh, you are in gross error among some, dealing with some of our Baptists, uh, I call them brethren. These people are definitely baptized because it's a command of Jesus Christ. But this is a necessary part of their the redemptive process, and their mind is definitely true. Now, uh, as a matter of fact, most of the Southern Baptists and preachers I've talked to, the later ones that have been coming out of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville and in Kansas City, believe this too. Believe what? That baptism is part of the plan of salvation. Uh, this may be very funny fact, but they definitely do. Well, this is, uh, even if they do, uh, what about these that don't? I'm talking about your, your, your area of liberty here and receiving the person. Uh, in what way? I'm talking about the ones that we've described as having faith in their salvation before their baptism. I don't think so. These people come in and I have uh, a question. Do you believe that they have been baptized scripturally then from the standpoint of their motive involved? Yes, sir. Well, this is what we said earlier. I think there's a, there's a motive for the necessary, but I do not necessarily that they must believe that this, they were baptized uh, to put on Christ, for instance, to, uh, 
I don't necessarily think they must believe that they're baptized for the remission of sin. They must believe, they must accept that they are baptized because it is the commandment of Jesus Christ that they be baptized to fulfill these necessary acts, his commandments. Yeah, but you know, that's the truth of the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's true of, uh, of, of singing. That's true of a lot of things. They are commands. But none of them furnish salvation. You know, I can say that I, I, I take the Lord's Supper because it's a command of the Lord. But I can't say I take the Lord's Supper because that's what will cause God to save me. That's an act of obedience that God has promised only to which I shall be saved. But he promised that about baptism. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. I wonder about this uh, thing dealing with Lord suffer too, I question seriously in my own mind when a person who disfellowships himself from partaking the Lord's Supper shall be saved. No, but the, the thing about it is God never told us that that's a condition that will cause us to become a saint, a child of God, that's a sinner of his true. kingdom. In fact, we have to be in his kingdom before we can even do that. Well, he does say that uh, because some of them have not been partaken of their sleep. Yes, I think that a person will be lost for not doing any command of God. This is true, but I'm saying that God has predicated salvation on baptism. Leading up to, I mean, doing all the things that lead up to baptism, a, a fit subject for baptism. He's baptized for the midst of his sins. That's not said of any other thing. He's baptized as part of the... As part of obedience to the commandments of Christ, yes, I agree with that. Yes, but he's not only baptized to obey the Lord, he's baptized to be saved. I'm, I take the Lord's Supper to obey the Lord. But I don't take this because this is a condition of my salvation that's set forth by which I become a child of God. If I took the Lord's Supper, I wouldn't have the promise of my, my, my past sins to be forgiven. If I obey the gospel, and accept the teaching of the law of Christ, then I'm going to have my past sins forgiven. I believe that's what he says in Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38. Well, all right, then, but you say that all a person has to do is just to say he's doing it in the same sense he does the Lord's Supper. Oh, unnecessarily. Because this is definitely tied into the gospel message when we're preaching this today. Well, your Baptist thinks it is, too, but it's an outward sign of an inward grace. It's an indication that's of the a, world that they've already been saved. That's a play on words. And well, they made few, it, I didn't make it. Few of those people know what they're talking about. I mean, uh, you're arguing from the preacher's point of view, not from the people's. Well, the people don't know as much as the preacher does. No, they, they are probably uh, much closer to our position than the preacher is. I don't think there's much doubt about that the people knowing only the words, not the theology behind the thing, are much closer to our position than the uh, They might be easier to read, but they're no closer to the truth than you are. Oh, yes. Not, not, I, I'm not saying they're closer to the truth than I don't mean that. I mean, uh, they're no closer to the truth than the preachers are. I, um... More ignorance doesn't mean that you're closer to the truth. Well, I, I, think, I, I say this. These people have been becoming... The preachers have often have become encumbered with such superfluous things added on to, but the people have not been able to digest. As a result, they know only the word. 
and the preacher knows the reasoning, the thinking, the theology that has accumulated through the ages behind this thing. And although he is encumbered with all these anna things that confuse the issue, they aren't oftentimes. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm dealing with different class people than you are. Because I never do meet people who, unless they have accepted the teaching of the preachers that have converted them, and I put that word converted in quotation marks, who know anything. Uh, they, I tell you, uh, people come to me and they'll, uh, they'll say, uh, I'd like to join your church. And I had a woman uh, ask me not too long ago, do you think I need to be rebaptized? Uh, I said, well, I said, I couldn't say that you had to be rebaptized to join the group of which I'm a member here. I said, uh, have you obeyed the Lord's command concerning baptism? She said, yes. She said, I was baptized because the Bible said so. And uh, I said, well, I said, uh, uh, why did you obey God's command to be saved or to be baptized? She said, well, she said, it was just something that I thought I ought to do. Uh, she said, we had a meeting, and uh, I made my decision for Christ. And uh, after a period of time, I just decided I'll be baptized. And this is your common experience. It's not a question of, of, of... Oftentimes, this is true. We have a girl in mind in our church now that was saved, in quotation marks, that uh, every morning that church, this is in, I'm not sure, 7th or 8th grade. Now, uh, I feel it's my duty to call it out and instruct in the way of the Lord more perfectly on these things, which I have done. That you have not completed your obedience to the commandments of Christ. You must be baptized. Now, whether I'm able to succeed in this matter or not, I'm not. So I mean, she wasn't even baptized. No, she has never been baptized. Is she a saint? Uh, I cannot clarify this. Do you fellowship her? What do you mean by doing fellowship? I mean, the same thing you do with people in the church. Does she have the same rights and privileges as other members of the church? No, because she's not a member of our church. She I thought be. you said she was. No, she couldn't be a member of our church. She comes to our Bible. She comes to our church, I say, but she is not a member. She comes to my wife's Bible school class. And the reason I know about this. Now, that no, we have an obligation to teach this word. This child in the way of no, more, but if more she, she was baptized uh, just because she thought the Lord wanted her to do that, just being that. Uh, I think possibly so. Well, of course, it's just a question of them. I think a question of believing what those passages teach in the city. If, if, if they were told back then to do this for this. Of course, the Baptist more undoubtedly to be moving closer to our position because they have. And we can't wait till they get there uh, to stand up for what's right and to say that you, you're a Christian when you do this and you're not when you do this. Well, for 200 years before the Campbell movement came to existence, was it not only the Baptists that were holding anywhere near closest to the faith? They weren't close enough. And there could have been no one saved during all those years. They could have seen it. But the ones that didn't hold the scriptural teaching weren't saved. They didn't read it now. Now and never. 
Baptist still believes that 